You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. All right. Well, we are now live on The Making of a Marketer, and we are happy to be here once again, Jess and Andy. And we have a third person, our first guest today, to talk about a very important topic. So, Jess, I will kick it to you to make the grand introduction. Definitely. Hello. So happy to be back. And today we are joined by Derek Yu, who is our customer science partner. So I think we've talked about this before. We're part of the customer science organization at LinkedIn, and we have multiple partners within this organization, and one of them being a B2BI Institute. And Derek joins us from B2BI he is an incredible expert in the brand space, and we're just really happy to have him here today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's an honor to be your first guest. <laughs> and Derek, I promise we aren't going to ask too many difficult questions, but um, as always, we try to just, you know, play a little round table, have a little fun, play a little devil's advocate. So as we have Derek here, a wealth of B2B knowledge, like feel free to ask away in the comment section. And, you know, we, I think have a pretty, what I would say loaded topic, Jess, you know, with brand. I think that between all three of us, we've talked brand probably, you know, thousands of minutes and hours, but um, everybody has a very different viewpoint on it. So I'm real excited just to get these different perspectives today. Definitely. I know. Should we, we should we talk about what we each call this type of strategy and topic? Because I, I feel like we have different names for yes. it as well. Yeah. You first. What do you call brand? Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I backed into this question for sure. So when I was working with employer brand managers, I called it uh, brand to land. So like that was my catchy phrase. And now I uh, took a term from BDBI. So maybe Derek can give us a little more background on this. I love now calling it performance branding. That is how I see the entire strategy because I think it is so key that when you are telling these stories, you not only have that branding element, but you have that demand gen element as well. And I don't like to say brand to demand. So I say performance branding. And that really is the comprehensive storytelling tactic in my eyes. Yeah, that's something that the B2B Institute definitely subscribes to. We want to rebrand branding as performance branding, right? We want to get more of that budget that has been kind of funnily towards demand gen and kind of make you know, the budget holders aware that branding is just as, if not even more important than doing all your demand gen activity. And the first step to making it credible is to have a strong brand for brand marketing. 
So this is where I will come in and mess everything up as usual, Jess, when I talk about brands. So like for me, like I think it's been such an evolved term. And and Derek, I would love your um, your idea on this. So I come from this very like old school social media manager. You know, my background is very much in the 2010 range. I started dabbling in it a little bit as a radio host. 2012, um, started doing it more as my regular duties. In 2014, that became my job. And back in those days, we were brand was just like doing like a, a hodgepodge of everything on uh, Facebook and Twitter, then later LinkedIn and seeing what happens. So like for me, like brand was like, how do we just become part of a conversation? Like that is how I saw it is like what extends the conversation on whatever entity I'm doing it for agency, client, um, broadcasting is, you know, where I started. So it was like very much, how do I become part of a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one dynamic that stops the scroll. And then later to just your point, like we start seeing all this data and like, you know, ways to make it make sense and be a part of, you know, a multi-thousand or million dollar program. But I still very much like to take it back to just the base idea of how do you have a conversation on LinkedIn and then now applying, you know, things like uh, B2BI and bringing that to much more of a scientific lens. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we talk about brand, I think, the easiest way to, you know, find a distinction is that we like to say that, you know, demand gen, performance marketing, that type of marketing wants you to do something, take an action. Whereas brand marketing or what we like to call uh, performance branding, brand that kind of branding wants you to remember something. And the two different objectives or end goals, I think, serves as a very useful distinction, especially because, um, you know, we like to say that the most important search engine isn't Google. The most important search engine is your brain, right? So before you think of what you want to search for to help solve a solution, you have to search your brain first. And that's really where brand marketing has the most value for, you know, the organization. And I love the psychological aspect there. So Derek, I will say, and I will definitely admit to this, that when I started social media, I think it was very much like conversation, like psychology, like what does somebody want to stop to scroll on? Is mm -hmm. I worked in through agencies and we had KPIs like CPL and cost per conversion. I feel like I got further and further away from that. And I like to really thank my current relationship, my wonderful girlfriend, Kristen. Um, she works in the mental health field and heavily deals with psychology. She has a master's, very trained in it. And it helped me to start reanalyzing that lens again, especially when we're thinking about remembering things, you know, what is that cycle that causes some sort of action to take place? And I start to think about myself, um, the amount of things that I click on that I'm interested in is far less than the amount of things that I see that I'm interested in. And I'm sure that, you know, kind of plays into what you're talking about is like being at top of mind. Exactly, right? We always like to say, a brand ad doesn't need to be clicked on in order for it to be effective, right? Um, most people, 
in the world don't click on ads. Um, you know, the studies show that um, very few of us, you know, actually click on ads and, you know, the clicks isn't representative of a of your content quality, right? Clicks usually are more representative of the types of behaviors um, your audience engages with, right? A person who clicks on an ad is also a person who is more likely to click on their friend's posts or their friend's content. So it's not uh, the best metric to use in isolation. It can be helpful if you triangulate with other metrics, but I don't think we should be measuring brand on just clicks alone. And Jess, I want to take it to you here. So as we talked about right in the beginning, um, one of our key points of emphasis right now here at LinkedIn is we're trying to, you know, we always do talk about brand, but during these times, especially, we really want to hone in on brand building because, you know, over the course of whether it be downturn, recession, whatever you want to call it, um, we see brands come out of this very successful a lot of times because they are able to capture a little bit more share of voice or almost be like a hero during the times of down, leading them to be successful during the times of good. So when we talk about branding and what you're pitching your customers right now, maybe there's a success story you have right now, or maybe something from the past, like what do you what do you see right now or just in your recent history being successful? Definitely. So uh, talking about the behavioral piece as well, I do like to tap into like the emotional opportunity and thinking more about the customer's emotions. So you mentioned, you know, economic uncertainty. So when you're thinking about like things being uncertain, then to me, that's a lack of confidence. And this is where people really like lose their confidence. And it's really important for us to then instill that confidence and show our stability like during these uh, turbulent times. So a way to do that is really with performance branding and making sure that you are always in front of your, your customers and you're engaging their emotional needs. And it's really a way to future-proof your brand. Like when you think about it, because if you're in front of them, you're showing them that, hey, we are weathering the storm. I don't want to call it a storm, but we're like, we're weathering some of the uncertainty, you know, and we are, we are stable and we are trusted. That's going to go a long way in instilling that confidence. So let's take it, you know, let's look at it through that lens, Jess. So there's like two trains of thought here. I'm going to go into social media PR, Andy. So we haven't uncovered that one yet. That's a future episode. PR and social media, big fan of it. But so there's two trains of thought here when you want to address anything in brand. There's the go uh, business as usual. You're strong. You don't even acknowledge anything that's happening. You're your own brand. You create your own voice. There's the other style which tackles any issue head on. It's like our brand takes a stance. This is who we are. This is what we're doing to try to get, you know, uh, to move forward. Is there an approach when you look at those that's right or wrong, or can both of those be right when you're branding? Well, I, I'll give my perspective, but I would love to hear what Derek thinks about this as well. To me, both work because again, you are you are addressing like what is happening, you are getting in front 
of your customers, you're still sharing your story. So I think you could take either route. The important thing is though, you, you know, don't get caught flat footed and you continue to proceed forward. So if you're going to use either tactic, it's a win in my book. Yeah. Andy, could you repeat the last part of your question again? I missed it. <laughs> so there's two ways of the of a brand, you know, branding through these times. So like you'll have your brand that's just like we're business as usual. Mm -hmm. We're going about, you know, our brand and our messaging as we normally do. And then there's others that want to tackle, you know, whether it be recession or just, you know, issues that, you know, everybody's facing. They'll tackle it head on through their messaging and through their brand. You know, is there a right or wrong way or can both of those be right? Yeah, I think... Just going back to the types of advertising we saw during the start of the pandemic, where every brand was trying to figure out how to sensitively address what's going on and assure their customers um, that we're here for you, we'll make it through together through these unprecedented times. It ended up the result was that every brand ultimately said the same thing and that they had the same copy, the same stock footage, and no one really stood out. And I think, um, I'm not sure if customers are looking for their B2B SaaS software brand to help them through a very personal thing, right? So our perspective is that, you know, do do something distinctive um, and do something consistent to your brand. Don't try to always um, say something just to say something, right? It has to mean be meaningful to your brand. Definitely. And I, that's something too that I often talk about from the broadcast world is trying to be meaningful within those first few seconds. So, I, you know, what is a user going to see, watch, click on, whatever, engage with whatever it may be, but is it impactful to them specifically? And sometimes I think, you know, when I go back to, to my days being in platform, the specificity that is a specific, I can't say that word, but how specific I got um, was a lot of times dependent on how broad the audience was. So like if I'm like, you know, consumer good Coca-Cola, like I got to keep it very, very broad. Like I'm not going to hone in on one very, very particular thing. But, you know, another instance is I work for Space Center Houston. So we're talking space, NASA, astronauts. Um, etc. That was a very specific industry. So when I use brand, there were certain words that I had to hit on, and I had to know, understand what I was talking about within those words for it to make sense within their brand. So, you know, things can dramatically change there. Um, I know something that is passionate to me in my personal kind of, you know, joyride through my social media career is I've done a fair share of event branding. So, you know, we have our big event, we are putting it on at this time, and that could also just be some sort of seasonal approach. So kind of like one story I like to tell from my perspective, and just, you know, feel free to, to, to chime in on, on any of this, is when I did work for Space Center Houston, um, our brand was like big brand space, but for the 50th year anniversary of the moon landing, we got one shot 
to do this like huge branding play. All eyes would be on us and we're probably never going to get that many eyes again. So I was put in task of promoting a celebration which um, encompassed a concert. It was the 50th year celebration. We we're going to have the center open, tours of NASA, um, booths from sponsors. You got to make sure the sponsors get their plays in here. And at the end of the day, it's a ticket and we're trying to drive revenue. So um, what I did is I took it back to the very basics and I did hashtag Apollo Hue because it was a celebration of Houston, Texas, you know, where Mission Control is at, where we're holding it. It was the Apollo era. It was something very digestible. So the brand was Space Center Houston, but the brand of this particular engagement was Apollo Hue. And we put it everywhere on social media. So every post used the hashtag. We um, had a concert video um, that was like basically saying who's playing. It had the hashtag. We had a where were you during the Apollo landing. I wasn't born, but it was really cool. I was in elementary school, Apollo Hue. Like all over it, we had uh, photo stations, Apollo Hue. So like we just really leaned in on if they see this over and over and over again, then we can start a discussion. What we were able to do is go with social media listening and really take a look at how many use cases there were. And I believe at the end of the entire promotion, we had 4 million impressions through the Apollo Hue hashtag, which why I think this was a great success was because it was branding for then, but it was also branding for the years to come because we created global visibility that we didn't necessarily have to use millions of dollars of budget for. Um, influencers talked about it. We kept telling our artists that were performing in all your posts, be sure to use this hashtag, tag us right, please. Um, all those good things. And it was quite the success. So that conversational brand piece and utilizing other mediums and other people to get that across was where I found a lot of success in kind of my recent history. That perfectly demonstrates what Derek was saying as well. Like essentially you identified like what is meaningful to your audience, to your customers and like what, and you identified like the meaningful challenge. So I love it because I mean, Derek makes such a great point. I was, I was forgetting about like the distinction piece, but it also like not only being distinctive, but then finding that meaning and then also like being authentic to to the brand and uh, what the brand is. Yeah. And I would say like, you know, if you do a really good brand event or brand effort that has longevity, right? You want things to stick in the minds of your target audience for years to come. And um, yeah. And kind of building that around that event. I think the associations, it was like a very natural association and it made a lot of sense. So now I have a little game we're going to play because we got games here. Um, so Derek, you are a B2B and branding expert. So you have the numbers, you have the figures, but as you know, when you go into a potential pitch or discussion, you know, there's a lot of people to sway. And um, I would like to get your takes on a lot of different things. But the first one 
you know, we're going to get is probably the most classic. So you're going to a pitch, you know, you're talking to a marketing team, they're very demand-based, CPL, cost per lead, cost per conversion, you're pitching brand. And they say they, they, they might come with two things. They're going to say they either don't have brand budget or they don't see the need for it because they're trying to use demand. So basically everything is around some sort of metric. And being an agency person, we get bonuses, we get um, promotions, we get things that are directly associated with CPL. So as much as a lot of times we know we should be doing it and these numbers are great, we get hesitant to because we want a promotion and we, we want our bonus at Christmas. So how do you tackle that question? And have you seen that evolve at all over the last few years? Is that starting to change? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, brand and demand aren't at odds with each other, right? It, brand only helps demand. No one is going to click on an ad or fill out a lead gen form if they've never heard of your brand before and they only see your demand, right? Um, and I think branding, you know, definitely has a lot of um, bot, like a huge halo at the bottom of funnel. So I would say if you want, I know we're all incentivized to think short term, but if you want to, you know, think about your strategy a little bit more long term, branding is somewhere you're going to have to go if you want to find new areas of growth. Because, you know, as you start to saturate all your demand um, activities, you know, brands usually find a plateau and it becomes less effective, less efficient. You know, their metrics become a lot more expensive. It's not as efficient before. So, you know, brand is ultimately the last frontier you go to when you need new avenues of growth. What would you say is a good handle? So, Someone's doing demand, but they want to go like 95% demand. They wanted to sprinkle a little brand to say they do it. Is it, you know, we hear 50-50 a lot. Like the way that I used to introduce it sometimes was that, hey, if I do 50-50, let's say I have a $50,000 budget and I spend $25,000 on brand, you know, I'm going to be told it's like, hey, like, what did that get us? You know, like, so what I would do is I would sprinkle it in. I would start it at like, 15% and I'd take it to 20%, maybe 30%. Like I would try to like build it up because what would happen is exactly what you're saying, Derek, is that I would use either brand awareness or video views objective. Um, I would start to build a retargeting audience, but at some point that starts to dry up more and more. And it's like, I can't, I, I hit a wall where I can't just keep bringing new people in. So then you turn back to brand, but it's almost like you're restarting the clock again. So is there like a right mix that you're looking for? Yes, we get this question a lot because marketers are always looking for this magical ratio that they can just implement and that their marketing is going to be optimized. But unfortunately, there is no magic ratio. Um, you know, the research from Binet and Field, you know, specifically looking into B2B brands, you know, the optimal point they found based off of their case studies was more of a 55-45 um, split. But 
I think that's a good starting point to use, but that ratio is always going to change dependent on your brand and your competition, right? And as well as your category, how much of your category um, buyers are doing the research themselves? How much of the buyer's journey is self-directed before they ever even come in contact with sales, right? If 80, 90% of that buyer's journey is self-directed, then brand becomes a lot more important. Another factor to consider is, you know, how good is your product compared to your competitors, right? If your product doesn't stack up to what your competitors are offering, then you might need to go heavier on demand and do more discounts or do a lot more of that demand gen stuff because, you know, you don't, your brand isn't as strong and won't get people to, you know, pay the full price, et cetera. So obviously that was not a very satisfactory answer because no one likes to hear it depends, but, you know, starting off with, you know, picking a starting point and then experimenting is probably the best way to, you know, test and learn. So that takes me probably to my next one here. So I'll take it to, um, let's say CMO. CMOs running, um, these channels are running TV, connected TV, radio, billboard. Uh, they're running Facebook, LinkedIn search. Like they're just, you know, omni-channel, let's put it everywhere. Um, and, and go with it. But with that, they consider radio, TV, brand channels. That's their brand budget. LinkedIn, because it's lumped in. I think sometimes, I do think this is something we as LinkedIn need to continue working on is LinkedIn gets lumped into Facebook budget and Facebook is considered a demand channel. When a Facebook or meta rep comes to pitch to you, they're, they're pitching e-commerce, they're pitching demand and then the idea of social media is still, I feel like with a lot of advertisers, is very much a demand channel. Where I think LinkedIn, we definitely use this both brand and we use it as demand. So, you know, in the past, something I tried to do a little bit is stop calling it brand to demand budget, call it brand budget or call it demand budget. I didn't call it any budget. I just called it LinkedIn budget. And I said that I needed both to be successful. Derek, is that something... You know, if I'm coming in, I'm like saying, hey, my brand budget's tapped. I can't put it on LinkedIn. You know, how do we work around that question and be successful and maybe still run brand on a demand channel? Yeah, I think um, ultimately the goal of brand is to, you know, get as much reach as possible and get that awareness. So I think if you can use the demand budget using a reach objective that can be a proxy for um, the brand budget that you don't have. But I think you bring up a really interesting point of how we get lumped into the category of Facebook where you know we're seen as a demand gen kind of platform. But I, I think the studies show and the research shows that people who come on to LinkedIn have a very different mindset than they have when they're logging on to Facebook or other social media websites, right? You know, they go, they log on to TikTok, Facebook when they want to kill time. But, you know, when they come on to LinkedIn, they're here to network, 
find ways to grow their career and they're in a different mindset. And I think that's the perfect opportunity for brands to, you know, showcase what they can do for someone. And I think that's, uh, I think that's one of the most important differentiations of the LinkedIn platform. And we'd be remiss if we didn't talk some creative. So Jess, I like to always talk to you on this. So I want your take and then Derek's take as well is we're talking brand creative. So, you know, trends change from year to year. One thing I've been advocating, I may not have the data on this, and Derek, you could probably tell me if I'm wrong by making a suggestion, is I've been heavily trying to, to emphasize more short form not TikTok videos. I don't necessarily want someone to be dancing for their SaaS product, but TikTok style, there's a certain style, you know, it's very organic. There's bold letters, there's, you know, vertical or one by one style that we see brands not only using a singular videos, but they're like carrying entire campaigns with it. I see it on Hulu ads sometimes for certain products. I'm like, like a TikTok ad they just put on, you know, connected TV. I was like, that's pretty cool. Like I stopped and looked at that. But Jess, I'm curious your thoughts, you know, creative side, like what do we look at for brand right now? And I also kind of just want to see what the data is, you know, to what maybe the next level of brand advertising could be. I I, I definitely think video for sure, seeing an uptick in video and and using video to tell our story. Because again, to, to me, brand and storytelling are so intertwined and connected. It's it's needed to tell that full story and to guide people through th- the journey. So I, lots of video, I, I agree, shorter form, something to capture that attention. Uh, so thinking about how can you make it uh, memorable and meaningful uh, in uh, the same time? And sometimes uh, I do talk about like if 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 customers are hesitant to start to move more of those demand dollars into branding, this is really where like the brand plus land philosophy came into play, where you could do some tests or you know dip your toes and and put out a creative that has some branding element and then also has that demand gen element as well, where you are asking them to take an action. But to Derek's point, as long as you do a little bit where you're telling your story, you know, you're creating that memorable and meaningful connection uh, versus just going right in. And I, I always used to say, like, would you ask someone on a blind first date to marry you? And, and, and if you did, what do you think the, uh, the response some, would be? Well, there are some reality shows where they do that. Uh, <laughs> Love is Blind is a very fascinating one. Oh, Andy, you're blowing my mind here because I, I, I'm not into reality. I had no idea. And that's, yeah, that's too wild for me. Yeah, that I, what, reality TV dating shows don't follow the uh, B2B funnel. There are a lot more <laughs> of uh, e-commerce, like rage purchase on Amazon style shows. But those those aren't real, right? Come on, those are scripted. Like they can't that can't be real. I, I would say my experience in that field, I would say there's a 95-5 rule of 95 being like not fully real, but maybe a little real, and five being the only actual real shows. So it's there aren't many. Yeah. 
ultimately it doesn't really matter if they're real or not right because the audience is engaged because they're they've bought into the story there's characters there's plot development there's hopefully resolution and that's why you know we pay attention to you know these types of content and to bring it back to b2b advertising it's the same thing right we need characters with agency we need people with dialogue and not just someone doing a monologue at you with heavy text you know i like to joke that most b2b ads look like a very boring powerpoint presentation but you know i think there's a lot of room to experiment with actual compelling storytelling so to close this off, because we're getting close to, to our time here, is Derek, when you look at B2B right now, what the great work you're doing with B2BI, what would you say are some North Star metrics? Like what, what should I as an advertiser right now, based on the data you're seeing, really be emphasizing in? And, and you know, what would create those macro wins as we try to work through the year that is ahead? Yeah. So, you know how I said earlier that brand marketing is wanting people to remember something? I like to think that, you know, brand marketers are essentially memory architects, right? And the really only way you can measure memories is through, you know, brand lift surveys or this idea of mental availability that we're kind of piloting with our clients right now. And essentially that just means, you know, a brand's mental availability is its propensity to be thought of in different buying situations. And you measure that through surveys. So um, making sure that your brand comes to mind first across as many different buying situations as possible in the category is probably, you know, the North Star when it comes to branding. And what's the best way you're seeing to measure that? Is it, you know, I know we do some different analysis at LinkedIn. Is there there like a real metric that shows like frequency or time of mind or, or whatever that may be that they can measure that on? I think for now, in my um, experience, survey is still the most important or the a best way to measure someone's um, memory. You'll love my old school. So this will lead us just to next week when we're talking measurement because we're going to have uh, Diana on as our guest. So I'm going to ask her this question as my devil's advocate. And she's going to be like, Andy, that's not how we measure things in 2023. But um, the way that I started doing this is I did social media as a client that was a furniture client. And we were selling $2,000 mattresses. And I was like, guys, we aren't selling those online. Like, There might be a few, but if you're going to measure social media against that, there's no way. Like, That's just not something people would buy online. Mind you, this is 2016. 2023 might be a little different. But 2016, just not something they would buy. So like, how do we measure the impact of the posts you're making? And I was like, here's a classic way to do it. When they go to make the purchase, they fill out a contract, right? Yes, yes. I said, put a box at the bottom and says, where did you hear about us? Or like, what, you know, made you come make this purchase? And then check the box of what it was. And we counted each time they checked social media. And then we attributed that ROI towards social media. So, but like I said, Diana's going to be like, Andy, like... 
what are you doing? But stuff like that, even if you don't have this like great attribution process set up right now, the easiest thing you can do like to just assess your ads, especially for like a $100,000 product, like simply ask at the end of the session, if you don't even have a survey set up, where did you hear about us or what prompted you to make this purchase? I'm calling that the memory box. You now you had a memory box on your your survey and look, it worked. Because <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the easiest thing. And then if you want to get those answers a little bit more aggressively, throw on a $20 Amazon gift card or $25 Amazon gift card for filling out the survey. Um, you know, again, it's, it's not something you would add if someone's like doing like an e-commerce play, but if it's like a huge thousands and thousands of dollar product, you'll find out real quick through surveys if you put an Amazon card at the end of it. I have a rule that when anybody sends me an email or some sort of message, if they say Amazon gift card at the end of it in the subject line, I will always do it. I have um, hundreds of dollars of free items in my house because of this strategy. So, but with that, I will leave it. Uh, Derek, it has been absolutely wonderful having you on. Um, is there, you know, if the, for any of the viewers, if they want to connect with you on LinkedIn, um, I can put, you know, your handle um, or if you'd like to just invite them, or if there's any resources or any questions, you know, definitely um, happy to have you. And if you're available, you know, we can put that out there for them to, to reach out. Yeah, just find us over at the B2B Institute and our research and all our materials are over on the LinkedIn website. Okay. And then Jess, you know, till next time, you know, as we mentioned, we'll be talking measurement next and really piecing this all together. Derek, our first ever guest on the Making of a Marketer, thank you so much. And we will be back next week. You know, look for us next Thursday. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.